Madison Story Slam. It's me, Adam, here with another new episode of our podcast for you, bringing you the freshest, most amazing stories that Madison has to offer and all that stuff. I'm not this kind of host. I, you know, I do what I do. I'm not like the sell it to you kind of thing. So I'll tell you what we got. Uh, This is from our April event. The theme was Here Goes Nothing. We've got a lot of great stories. As always, we were sponsored by Ale Asylum and continue to be, and we're so appreciative of that. Uh, Just want to let you guys know, we hit our GoFundMe goal. Uh, We're actually $5 over the goal, so that's amazing. We've got the new computer, and uh, we're so thankful and just blown away that you guys... Uh, believe in what we're doing and want to be a part of it and showed that uh, in a week's time we we raised all the money we were looking for so we got a computer we got some accessories for the computer that we needed for the podcast so that's amazing you guys are amazing and yeah you're just you're like the best people ever so anyway uh, not to belabor too much let's uh Let's get to some stories, uh, because here goes nothing, right? So uh, here's some great stories that we heard in April, and uh, yeah, here goes nothing. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Um... So I guess my story, just to have a little bit of a backstory before I begin my story, is the way I was raised in my household, my parents and then my one sibling, it was very loose. There were no real like big ethics or morals. It was very like free, like you listen to whatever you want, you watch whatever you want. I was grown up with the Simpsons. They're like my actual family. And um, I'm from right outside of Chicago, so there was this one radio station that was very like brash, very like rated R, very rated X. So like growing up in that kind of environment, I was raised a little bit for lack of a better words, perverted. And so, (laughs) like, just growing up, I remember, like, I was always into weird things, always wanted to do weird things. I was always interested in things that I know a lot of other people would be like, no, that's not exactly the right thing to do. So that's a little bit of backstory before I get into it. But um, one of my things when I was growing up was one of my favorite shows to watch was Jerry Springer, because clearly... um, (laughs) Seven-year-old's favorite dream is to watch and sit in front of the TV and chant, Jerry, 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 eating your little uh, kid's meal and shit like that. Um, I don't know if you can swear. I'll try to limit it, but, you know, my, my history. Um, so, yeah, one of my things that I loved doing was watching Jerry Springer. And on my bucket list as I was growing up was that I thought it'd be always cool to be on Jerry Springer. And so it was something that was always like a dream in the back of my mind, and I lived right outside of Chicago, which is where the Jerry Springer show for the majority of the years had been broadcasted. So took baby steps. I first got tickets to be an audience member of the show. Got my beads. Um, And then from there on, I thought, you know what? Let's, let's build this up. This is, this is what I've been wanting to do. This is a thing that's on my bucket list. Like, let's just do it. You, how many people can say they've been on Jerry Springer, or at least tried to be on Jerry Springer? It's like, I'm sure it's not something everyone wants to put on their resume, but it's something that I'm like, that's so cool, whatever, freaking me. Um, so when I was about, I think this was when I was 18, 
Yeah, that's like the age to get on it. So when I was 18, I was dating this girl who, her and I were very much alike. We're very just eccentric. We do a lot of weird shit. We get into a lot of trouble. We were very, it was a very volatile Jerry Springer relationship. (laughs) It was perfect. And so I asked her one day, I'm like, Jennifer, this is something that I've always wanted to do. I think we have a great story to contribute to it. Like, would you want to go on the show with me? And she is very much someone who's like, I'll do anything for you, which is why our relationship sucked, but rocked at the same time. (laughs) And so she like agreed for it. She was like totally down for it at the time and everything. And so I signed us up. I just like went headstrong into it. I submitted our materials talked on the phone with producers, got everything set up. I'm like, sweet, 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 cool, cool, it's actually happening. Um, And it was a really cool gig. Uh, It actually was going to be the last episode that Jerry was ever going to film in Chicago, because he's in Connecticut now, so I'm just like, wow, everything's really coming together. Like, this is the time, this is the moment, it's actually going to happen. So, the day before, they ship us down there, they give us like a cool-ass hotel to stay in, like free food. If you smoked, free cigarettes. I didn't smoke, but I got three packs of them just to say that I could get free of them. (laughs) Should have sold them for a profit, but I was in my own world back then. Um, So it was cool, just chilling, like everything, like the night before. I was just like, yeah, yeah, it's going to finally happen. This is super cool, super cool. Um, Not really thinking about everything, and that's, that's the biggest part that I've learned about me in my life growing up, and even currently, is that I don't think that hard about a lot of things. So the next day comes, producers are rushing us all around, trying to get our story together, and if any of you are curious, which I know you are, are the stories made up on Jerry Springer? Absolutely frickin' yes, they're made up. (laughs) People are in the dressing room trying to, like, hash out their story. They're like, what's your name? I don't even know you. Like, what's our story? What am I supposed to say? And I'm like, what the fuck is this? But I'm like, whatever. It's Jerry Springer. Nothing's real in life anymore. Um... (laughs) So I'm sitting in the dressing room, getting all prepared. My hairdresser, makeup artist is just eating fried chicken and dripping their skin all over me. I'm like, well, I hope this shows up nicely on the episode, glistening in the wind. Um, So everything's like, I'm still like chill with everything. Everything's good, everything's good. But at the same time, I'm starting to feel like a little bit of, I don't know what's to call, like a hesitancy or kind of a little bit, just something, something was lingering in the back of my mind that was just like kind of throwing me off. But so the time finally came where me and Jennifer were supposed to go on stage and do our thing. And they put me in this little soundproof room because I don't even know I was the first person to go on. I don't know why I had to be soundproof, whatever. Um, so they put me in this little room by myself, just me and little headphones on, surrounded by four walls, and I'm just sitting there. And everything kind of just stops. Then I'm like, what the fuck did I just do? I'm about to go on Jerry Springer. Like, with all the, like, you've seen Jerry Springer. Like, it's freaking, like, down south. People are missing limbs, missing facial pieces and stuff. Like, ranting and raving about, like, marrying babies and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm going to be on stage with these people? It's like, I I just had this, like, almost like a super ego moment. Or is it the id? Whichever one's the the, the more adult of them all. Just, like, flashing before my lives, my eyes just being like, Shauna... You are, you, you're committed to this? What, what did you get yourself into? Like, yes, you've always wanted to do this, but now the moment is actually here that you have to do this. Are you kidding me right now? This is going to, like, project into the rest of your life. And so I'm just sitting there, like, sweating balls, and I'm just like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Oh, my God, can I back out right now? I can't back out on Jerry Springer. Like, that's the last person you want to back out on. You can, like, make up your story for you on stage. And so... Like, I guess I took the the actual title of tonight's theme, Here Goes Nothing, like straight to heart, is that when they came into my little soundproof room and said, all right, you got to go out there, in my head, I just like, okay, here goes nothing. 
And I go out on stage, and I just remember blacking out the entire time. I was just sitting there answering Jerry's questions. I can watch my episode and like see myself like pale as a ghost, and I'm just like just getting through everything. Just like, okay, come on, this is your dream. This is like your bucket list thing. This is like all you've been living for your entire life. Make the most out of it. And in the back of my mind, I kept on thinking like a little bit like, Shauna, this is bad. This isn't what you should have done. But at the same time, there was always that thing that kept pushing me forward to just get through it is that this is something I've always honestly wanted to do. Yeah, it's not the best thing to do. Maybe it's not going to be good for something in the future, but you know, it's different. It's fun. It's what I wanted to do. I was nervous about it, but in the end, this is what I wanted to do, where I wanted to be. A weird thing to say that I've done in my life. And I think... Like, thinking about that moment when I'm sitting there, like, reevaluating my life, we all have that moment where we're just like, shit, what have we got ourselves into? Moments before, we're supposed to go out on stage and, like, tell a story like this, and we're just like, shit, the nerves are coming up. I'm starting to sweat. I'm starting to, like, feel, like, nerves and everything. But you know you want to be up here, and you know you want to be sharing a story. You know you want to be on Jerry Springer's stage being tossed around by security guards while your girlfriend's writing a poem to you about how much she misses your butt. (laughs) It's like just sitting there being like, all right, you know what? Here goes nothing. I'm going to make the best out of this moment, no matter if I feel right with it. It's something that I wanted to do, something that I'm going to do, and something that, unfortunately, if you have pay-per-view, you can watch whenever you want. (laughs) And that's my story. Thank you, Shauna. Uh, I just want to give more props to Shauna quick. Being first is, is hard uh, at Story Slam. Almost every month when I tell the person, because usually uh, we do like a, a pre-sign up before the night online, and I'll usually take that and just kind of mix up the names and just decide who's first. And usually that person shows up and goes, what? Really? So not only was Shauna first tonight, and not only was it her first time telling a story here, um, when I told her she was first, she was like, great, that's awesome. And then she asked me if she could chug a jug of wine. <laughs> so let's hear it for her one more time. Um, being first on stage and, and talking into a microphone reminded me of the nerves of that. And it reminded me, the first, so I'm, I'm a pastor's kid and I went to a Christian school my whole life. Um, so being a pastor's kid and a pastor's grandkid, I was on stage a lot. So I'm, I was pretty used to it my whole life. But the first time as like a young, not young adult, I was like, uh, I was in seventh grade. So how old that is, like 12. Um, that's like the first time that I really remember like, Uh, being on stage with a microphone by myself to like talk to people and not sing. Like I I could always just sing on stage and it just felt normal. Um, But this was the first time I was seventh grade and I was at a chapel for the elementary school. And uh, I was told to uh, find my favorite verse, my favorite Bible verse. And being a seventh grade boy, I like guns and knives and action movies and things like that. Right. And, uh, this is the, probably the most nervous I have ever been in my life. And uh, I got on stage, and I had chosen... Chosen? Is that right? I had choosed. Uh, I know. First Samuel 1751. Uh, in Samuel, uh, 
we're learning about uh, the Jews are at war with the Philistines, and uh, this is kind of right around the time that David gets introduced in the book. For anybody who cares about biblical history, nobody here does. Um, so this is actually the tail end of the, the story David and Goliath, and this was my favorite verse in the Bible when I was a kid, and it goes like this. I'm going to read it to you the way that I read it at this at this uh, chapel. So I was supposed to read the thing and say why it was my favorite verse. And part of, part of what was... Uh, you, have you guys heard of like those voice trippers? Like where it like... Like it's these headphones that you wear and you talk and it like a half second it's off and you hear and it makes you not able to speak. It was like that because it was the first time that I had been just speaking and not singing and there were monitors giving me like my voice back to me so it just totally jammed my voice and it sounded like this so I was like I got up to the microphone I was breathing really heavy it was a podium I got up to the microphone I was like David ran and stood over him he took hold that's exactly what I sounded like for like 10 minutes to, <laughs> to like to like these kindergartners through fifth graders I can't imagine and their teachers like I can't believe that no teacher stood up and, was, and like came up to me and was like hey like that's enough <laughs> but just so you know what my favorite verse was it was David ran and stood over him he took hold of the Philistine sword and drew it from the sheath after he killed him he cut off his head with the sword <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as a seventh grade boy, that sounded so badass. And like, I, I think my, uh, I definitely didn't say badass when I was on stage at the church, but um, I, I, I thought it was so cool. And I was like, that just shows me that God lets you do anything. <laughs> oh man. Young Adam was precocious. Uh, next up uh, is, uh, I don't know, you've probably told like 10 stories here before. So she's a veteran, and um, so doesn't need much of an introduction. So please put your hands together for Maria De La O. So my story tonight is called Sweet Christmas. And if that sounds familiar to anybody, it's an homage to the Netflix television series, Luke Cage. Do we have any Marvel fans in the house? Anybody? Yeah? Okay, good, because I make another Marvel mention in this story. And it's ironic because Luke Cage had just come out on Netflix, and I'm a nerd, obviously. Um, it's like two weeks before this thing happened last fall. And so I had started watching it, and I got all psyched, and... Then, after that happened, and it was all fresh in my mind, uh, I met this boy, and I had seen him around the last couple of years because he actually had been friends with a boy that I have told stories about here before, and another boy, and four of my stories in Toto have involved these two boys that were in a certain now defunct three-piece garage punk band in Madison back in the day, and uh, this boy was the front man for a band that had once upon a time, two years ago, recorded a split tape with that band, so... You know, of course, because the story is about this boy, and you can all guess that I was involved with him, I, I really 
got to get my hands on that tape just as a brief aside. I don't have it, but I, I will never procreate personally, but for like my nieces and nephews and all the like future De La O's out there, I really want to get that tape so I can be like, you know what? I may have been bullied as a kid, but like when I was in my 20s, I made out with exactly half the guys on that tape and both of them were the front men of both bands. So, you know, I only fucked one of them, but you know, I, I got to kiss three of them. So like, hey, when I'm old, I can think about that. But I didn't know any of that at the time about this other guy and I just met him I thought he was nice whatever and to my great surprise uh, like a week after I met him he asked me out and we had our very first date that night very spontaneous I don't normally do things like that I like to plan everything out I like to be prepared I like to plan a certain outfit that's like perfect for the occasion in my mind whether or not it lives up to that and because he didn't really give me any time to prepare for this I just threw on something really simple, and it was a, a long, like a gray hoodie, basically, but it was like form-fitted, and it was like here, and it had a ho- I had the hood up, and it was my female homage yet again to Luke Cage, which had just come out, and I had my hood on, because Luke Cage is like this awesome, bulletproof black superhero defending the streets of Harlem in a gray hoodie. So I'm like, I'll just do my little Luke Cage homage, he won't know. And that was my thought going into this date with him, because I... I actually thought the words, here goes nothing, because I wasn't prepared. I didn't know what would happen. I didn't even know it was a date. And because so many of my past relationships, I've mentioned this before, I've done slams about them, were really abusive in one way or another, I, to this day, I'm not always totally sure how to proceed in a regular healthy relationship. Because I'm 24, and all of my teenage years and things like that, I, the guys that I would date or the guys that would you know, come to me and I would end up dating them, they would do things like threaten me when things weren't going well for them, or they, they would make threats on my life, or they would threaten themselves if I left, or I had one guy grab both of my wrists in public one time until my arms were turning red and I started to cry and he laughed at me. That was a lot of my prior relationships, so I didn't know what a normal relationship would look like, and after I'd experienced all of that and the death threats and the telling me that I should kill myself and all of that, and that's that's behind me now, and I hope... I hope it's behind me anyway. There was nothing scarier to me than a normal boy and a normal relationship because how would I proceed? Even if I got that far, which I never had with anybody else who wasn't like that, what would I do? So that was really how I went about this whole relationship. And that was in October. So come Christmas, you know, we're still together and we've made it official. And he tells me he wants me to meet his family. And they live up on a farm in tiny Milton, Wisconsin, if anyone has ever been there. Mm -hmm. And that's the joke I always make, because I'm like, oh, the guys that are interested in me, they always have to be from out of town. Because I have this theory that, like, if you're a guy and you stay in Madison too long, there's something in the air that makes them, like, not want to be with me, for real. So, like, you know, this other guy that had been interested in me from that other band, he was from Marshfield. The other guy before him, he had been in Dallas, Texas, when he first got in contact with me. So, like, it's something in the air. I I still am holding on to this theory. But this guy, um, I'm going to call him Aaron, he was from Milton, and so, you know, he asks me to meet his parents, and reluctantly, I say yes, I try not to act like I'm nervous about it, but I start freaking out to my friends. I'm texting them, I'm like, you know, there's these white parents, they've been together for like a million years, and they live on this farm, and he has this older brother who's, like, he's graduated from college, he's got a good job, you know, he has, and, she, and he has this perky white girlfriend who, you know, seems really enthralled about life, and just not like the person that I felt like I was, so I I was just honestly kind of terrified because what if what if they didn't like me? What if they didn't approve? What if I wasn't someone that they wanted 
with their son. But I went up there anyway, and the second that I walked into their house and I was greeted by his mother, all of that fear that I felt, irrational or not, just kind of melted away because it became so obvious to me just coming into their home and you know sitting down with them and ha- having a meal with them how much love was in this house and how much they all truly cared for each other and weren't judging each other because I hadn't known what to expect and you know his mother right away asks me, "Oh, you know, can I can I get you anything to drink? Oh, I know you don't drink, but do you like I have some diet coke?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, I love diet soda. Yeah, of course." And she's like, "Oh yeah, you know, uh, it's not like somebody told me that or anything." And the, you know, her and Aaron kind of laugh about that. And when I was relaying this story to my sister, um, she told me about her ex girlfriend that she had lived with, and she said one of her favorite parts and the things that she missed the most about her ex girlfriend was going to see her ex girlfriend's family in Michigan and how her mother would do the exact same thing. She'd bring her a Dr. Pepper and Kathleen would always forget and say, oh, like, this is my favorite drink. Thank you. And, and, you know, the ex's mom would say, oh yeah, you know, a little birdie told me that you like it. So it was very similar. And the whole rest of the day went like that. We went into the living room. We watched Mickey's Christmas. It was like the most innocent, perfect Christmas that should have been immortalized on a Hallmark card, I think. That's what it would have looked like, you know? We're opening presents, and the mom is constantly asking, would we like more cocoa? And there's just innocent, you know, joking, but nobody's being really mean to each other. We're looking at old photo albums. And when I was sitting there on the couch with my boyfriend at the time, And I kind of laid his head on my shoulder and I looked over, I saw the brother and the sister and they were both sleeping and the parents were looking sleepy. But I was looking at my boyfriend in his red sweater with holes on it that to some people might be Mr. Rogers-esque. I thought it was a little more Kurt Cobain-esque because he had the long, dirty blonde hair and everything. And he had his hat on for some reason, even though we'd been inside the house for like five hours and he's all cute and his eyes are like drooping and my eyes are drooping, but neither of us is falling asleep yet. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is kind of what life could be like. If my life had been more normal or if, the, if I was a normal person who thought that I would get married one day and have a family, this is what life could be like for me. And I held on to that thought for a really long time. And I think it was that moment that I knew for sure I wanted to tell him that I loved him. But I didn't tell him yet because I was afraid. You know, we're always afraid to say that first. And I didn't, I didn't want him to say it just because I said it. I didn't want him to say it, you know, because he felt obligated to. So I, I held on to that and I waited. And, you know, we come, he, he drives me back after that. And we have what I would have considered perfect sex. And then the next day I go to my 10-year Catholic school reunion, another scary thing because I was bullied very severely into eating disorders and self-harm when I was at Catholic school. And it was great because when I showed up, I knew I wanted to go because I didn't want to show people that I was scared. None of my harassers or tormentors bothered to show up, not one of them. And I took Aaron with me and he met my old friends and everybody was so kind. And then we went home after that and had some more perfect holiday sex. And it was a really beautiful time in my life. And so flash forward to the springtime, I'm going to make another Marvel reference for anybody who's seen the movie Logan, any X-Men fans in the house. That's one of my favorite films. And that was the last film that we watched together. I took him to see it because I was like, I loved it. You got to watch it with me. And when I watched that movie, I was again reminded of him when he was, not just because he was sitting next to me, but because there's a scene in that film where... Uh, Professor X and Wolverine and this little girl, this young girl called Laura, who's a young Latina mutant that they take with them. They're trying to protect her. They end up meeting this really nice farm family, just two parents and a kid. And 
they bring them into the house for a meal to you know thank them because they had helped them on the side of the road and so later on logan uh, Wolverine goes in to talk to Professor X and Professor X says something to him and he says, you know, this has been the best day of my life because all of this, and he means, you know, the family and the love that they have for each other and kind of just the purity of that moment, even after you've been through all these dark experiences, you can still enjoy that. And he says, Logan, this is life this is love and you know and I I related to that because I thought of that with Aaron's family and so later when you know before Aaron was about to go on tour and he broke up with me um, I kept thinking of that and I thought about how I had never told him that I loved him and I tried to tell him before he broke up with me and he couldn't say it back because and after I did some digging he told me it was because he thought that the only girl that he would ever love was this girl from three years ago. I'm gonna call her Becky. Her name isn't really Becky, but it might as well be. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like some, you know, bitchy white girl. Isn't it always some white girl? Come on. And when he summarized that story for me, it was basically like, well, Becky wouldn't make it official with me. She said she didn't want anything serious with me. And then she ghosted me, and I never heard from her again. And when I thought about it, that was really what I could have said about one of the guys that I dated, Joe, the guy who had been friends previously with Aaron. It's a lot of other stuff that happened, but if I was to sum it up concisely, it's like, he kind of treated me like shit, and then he ghosted me, and he wouldn't make it official with me, and now he's official with someone else, and that also happened three years ago. So it's like, I thought about it, and I, I'm trying to mine the situation, like, what could I learn? What could I have done differently? But I realized maybe it wasn't me, because I hadn't let all of that heartbreak with Joe, as devastated as I was by it, dictate what I was going to do in the future. And what Aaron was doing, in my mind, was letting what happened with this Becky girl stop him from what he was doing. And that doesn't really make it easier for me to accept, but it's just something I'm trying to drill into my head. Because when you get broken up with or you break up with someone, it's not just the big things that you missed. It's not just the capital R romantic moments. It's the little things. It's like how they look when they're driving or you know, little words or phrases that they make up around you like you have some kind of your own secret language and you know the little nicknames that he had for me that I never got from any other guy because they didn't stick around long enough to, to do anything like that for me and one of them was you know as corny as it sounds he would call me his princess he would text that to me and on New Year's Eve when he had a show I wore a tiara and an actual gown it wasn't a dress it was a gown and we had this romantic kiss in front of everybody at midnight while his band played and I always think back to that and then I think back to the little girl that I was that no matter how different we all are, I think a lot of little girls have that princess fantasy in whatever way. I know my sister had it too. She still has it. She said it was a turning point for me when I realized I didn't want a prince. I wanted another princess to be with. But maybe it was kind of a turning point for me when I realized I want to feel that way. I don't think I should feel wrong just because I can be a woman and be an adult now. I don't want to just be with somebody who calls me a princess sometimes and that's cute, but doesn't love me because I think I deserve to be loved. I want to be with somebody who actually treats me like one and makes me feel like one. And whether or not I have that, I kind of still hope someday that I will experience that. And I don't regret the experience that I had being scared of a normal relationship because I still did it anyway. Thank you. Thanks, Maria.
think we've all had a princess fantasy as children, <laughs> not just ladies. <laughs> Sometimes I like I ask my wife if she thinks I'm pretty, and she's like, "No." like what and she goes that's not a term for you and I don't know if it's just like the dickhead in me or what but I'm like well screw you like I can be pretty and so I won't drop it until she tells me I'm pretty it's good it's good to have things in your marriage um next up our next storyteller uh is no longer on crutches as uh but I don't, are you still hobbling at all a little bit um, he's a, a wonderful storyteller and an even more wonderful friend. So please put your hands together for Marty Sosnowski. <laughs> Twelve weeks in a cast and on crutches. I got that fucking thing off finally. But you know, there's something, this doesn't have to do with my story, I just got to tell this. Because everything, you should learn something, man. That's what I'm here for, is to teach. We got to learn. So what I learned was, is after 12 weeks on crutches and in a cast, you got to teach your foot how to work again. It doesn't work, man. You're not going to get that thing off and run. And that's what I want, man. I want it to take off. So you got to teach your foot how to work again. And I just, I just didn't anticipate that. I didn't realize that. So I tried to learn something from that. And the first thing that came to my mind, well, that kind of brings repetitive masturbation into a whole new perspective, you guys, <laughs> for men and women. You don't want to have to retrain that how to work, I don't think. So you got to learn something there. And, and i got to bring this up, too, for, for Sean and her first story. I'm, I'm a, I lived in Cincinnati for a long time. I, do, do any of you know the story behind Jerry Springer before he became what he was? He used to be the mayor of Cincinnati. Youngest mayor ever in the United States at the time. And do you know how he got thrown out of office? Do you know? Do you know why he had to leave office? Because he wrote a hooker a check. That is a true Jerry Springer story right there. That's a true story. He got thrown out. But anyways, I got to get to my story tonight or I'll take too long. Because when, when I left here last time, I actually forgot what the theme was. And I had to send Adam a message and go, what's the theme? What's the theme? Because I have to work on my story. And he told me what it was. And I was like, man, I used to say that all the time. And I, I couldn't remember why I used to say that. I just kept, I used to say that all the time. What was it? It was something crazy. And... Um, so, like two or three days later, I'm sitting home, smoking some weed, listening to Black Sabbath again, and I was like, oh yeah, LSD, man. I used to say that every time I would take a dose of LSD. So we're going to go back to the 70s tonight. I got my cool glasses, my 70s glasses, if I can do this. Sweet. That's fucking freaky right there. That'll get you going. I got a little skull here that lights up for tripping. So when you're tripping. Oh, he's supposed to light up. So, so now, unless, unless you're 60 years old or better, believe me, you have no idea what real LSD was. You don't. They don't, you can't get it anymore, unless you know maybe somebody in the CIA that's still flirting around with it. But you can't get LSD anymore. Um, I, unless you were my age or t maybe Tom Schmidt, I think maybe he might have had a little LSD in his life. You don't know what it was like. And it was such a cool drug. It was so cool. So I go, oh yeah, that's what the theme's about. So I, 
I start writing down stories from my LSD days. And I, I, right now, the list is, it, it, well, before I started down here tonight, it was at 27 stories. And I thought of another one on the way down, so now it's up to 28. So I had to narrow it down to a few stories. Now, I'm going to break a few myths about LSD right away. Is it's not the reefer madness that they tried to tell us when we were young. And that's the big mistake they made, is they lied to us. They were trying to tell us what LSD was going to do to us, and they weren't doing it. I mean, you heard the stories that you were going to go out and stare at the sun until you went blind. Well, I'll tell you what, me and Tom would be walking around with one of those white canes right now, I'll tell you that. So all those myths and about the, the walls were melting and there were spiders crawling all over. If you were seeing those kind of things, you were just kind of in some meditative dreamland somewhere. It, it really wasn't that way. You had hallucinations, but they were, they were pretty consistent if you were doing good LSD. Like, like everybody smoked back then, and, and, and the cigarettes would trail. And it was so cool. You would just take your cigarette, and, and it would just trail back and forth. And it, it, there were things like that that were constant in your little hallucinations. Like when you were driving, no, no matter what, the steering wheel always seemed like it was like four feet. Of, you just for sure thought you were like some little guy driving down. But you could, you knew that you were hanging on to a regular size wheel, but it was just the, pre, it, it distorted the perceptions of what you were doing. It really did. And it was so cool if you did it right. And did, you know, the people who had bad trips, you know what, they did too much. And they probably put themselves in bad situations. You had to be in good situations. Now, I was a smart guy. They didn't think that I was, but I was smart. I never did LSD unless I knew somebody that did it before me. So I could find out what happened to them. Okay, it's cool. I got it. Um, yeah, the doses you had to know, because the doses were tiny. They used to call this shit micro dot sometimes. And it's just this little tiny fucking piece of shit. You put it in your mouth, and there was no going back. It was like 12 to 16 hours of tripping your ass off. There, you couldn't throw it up. There, that wasn't gonna, once you put that thing in your mouth, you were gone. So we all, I always just say, here goes nothing, man. Put that thing in my mouth. So out of the 27 stories, I had to narrow it down to a couple, and I'll try to go really fast because I don't want to take too long. But one of the stories was me and my friend Tom Feifrick, and I, I don't change names to protect the innocent like Maria. I can't remember that shit. I just tell it the way that it was. So me and my buddy Tom Feifrick, I'm, I think I'm 15 years old, and I was skipping school at the time, so it didn't matter. This was school day, and it was a day just like today, really warm, beautiful day. We knew it was coming, so we bought some acid. We each got our dose. We did acid, and we skipped school, and we went out to the forest where we go hunting, which was about an hour walk from our home, which was perfect. It's just about the time you're getting, getting off. So, and we were having a great time. When, when things are right, it's so cool. So we're out in this woods, beautiful day, we're skipping school, we're tripping our ass off, we're having fun, and we come upon this other woods that normally we wouldn't go into. You know, because it was all posted and they rode horses in there. But they had really nice trails, so it was like, looked really cool, tripping. Let's go walk down these trails. Fuck the no trespassing signs. It's Wednesday or something. There's going to be nobody there. So we're walking through the trails, having a great time. And all of a sudden, through the woods, we see some people coming on their horses. Fuck, he's like, run, because we weren't supposed to be in there. They did not like the kids in there. So we, he goes, run towards the swamp. So we're in a pretty thick wood, so we take off running. And I'm running, and I'm running. And I'm running, I'm running, and I see this stump, and I get down behind this stump, and I'm hiding behind the stump, and I'm not looking because they're fucking gonna go by, and I, I don't even want to look. I'm fucking tripping my ass off, and I'm not kidding you. I'm in this fucking woods, I'm behind this stump, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I hear, "Son, son, are you okay?" 
And I'm, I'm not looking, man. I'm not looking. And he's going, son, son are you all right? And I, and I look up, and I ran about 20 yards. And there's these people on fucking horses, and they look like giants. And I'm like, holy shit. And I'm going, uh, yeah, man, I'm all right. You know, and they're looking at me, and I'm just kind of doing one of these, going like, holy shit, man. I thought I ran, I thought I ran like a mile, man. It's like the perception thing. I really did, but I, I ran like 20 yards. And, the, and, so, and finally, the people just go, looking at me, and they're talking, and away they ride. And we're going like, well, that was fucking freaky. My friend, he ran farther than I did, but I didn't. It was freaky as shit. But the best trip and story I have is, so me and my friends, like I said, it would take like about an hour to get off on LSD. So we came up, we, always would, we would always do our acid separately, and then we would meet up, because why waste an hour of time of fucking around when you could be tripping when you all get together finally? So, so our plan was, our friend, I don't know, does anyone know where Shano is, Shano Lake? Okay, well, we have one. Anyways, it's a big lake. It's a big fucking huge lake. My friend Bradley is up in Shano. We're in Appleton. It's about a 30-minute drive up to Shano. Our plan was he had a family gathering. So we're going to do our acid. We're going to get in the car, go get Bradley, come back. By the time we get back, we should just be getting off good. That's the plan. The bad part of the plan was is we didn't realize it was going to be a blizzard. So it's a fucking blizzard. And we were going like, well, maybe we shouldn't go do this. I got over to my friend Larry's house, Larry and Joe. And we're like, well, I don't know, you know. And Bradley calls and he goes, you got to come and get me. He says, I'm fucking starting to get off. He said, I'm at my family's function. He goes, you guys have to come and get me. He goes, I'm tripping, man. So we're like, oh, okay. So we get in the car, in Larry's car, and he had this big old fucking piece of Detroit iron that it would go through the snow, and we had Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, brain salad surgery, just gassing in the stereo, and away we went. Now, when you, this is important, when you, when you get to Shano Lake, Highway 47 tees off right at Shano Lake, and it's massive. It's a huge lake, and it's a beautiful sight when you come up on it in the summertime or in the wintertime. In the wintertime, it's all white, and usually if there's not a blizzard, you can see all the ice fishing shanties out there and stuff, but when you tee off, you're right at the lake. So this is where the perception thing comes in again. We don't... We, Apparently, Larry, you couldn't hear nothing in the car because fucking Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer's, Wah! and I'm, I'm, I'm in the back seat, and I'm loving it. I'm tripping my ass up, and there's a fucking blizzard, and I don't have to drive, and it's fucking cool. So we get up over, there's an overpass that goes over Highway 29. We get on the other side, and Larry slows down, and he's like, which way do, and I go, you take a left when you get to the lake. So he stops. Well, unfortunately, we weren't at the lake yet. It was just kind of a whiteout, and it really looked like the lake, kind of, the perception thing. It looked like the big white lake out there. We take a left. Okay, take a left. The fucking Zamberson Lake, and Palmer, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and we're driving down, and we're going slow because of fucking snow, and it's crazy. And we pass this little fucking stop-ahead sign, and I'm like, wow, I'm really fucked up, man. That stop sign is really little. And, and, and so Larry pulls up to the stop sign, and this is where we started to think something's not right because we should have went farther from the lake to get to where we needed to go. This doesn't seem right. 
So Larry turns down the stereo. This is God-awful truth. He turns down the stereo, and he goes, dudes, where are we, man? Something doesn't seem right. And I tap Joe on the shoulder. He's sitting in the front seat, and the the stop sign's like right there. And I said, Joe, I said, does that stop sign look as little to you as it does to me? And he goes, yeah, man. He goes, that fucker is like, because it's like this big around, and it's right there. It's this tiny little stop sign. Right at this moment, right next to us pulls up a fucking snowmobile. And the guy's looking at us, and he flips up his fucking visor, and he's like, what the fuck are you guys doing? We're on the snowmobile trail, tripping our ass off, man. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? We're all just sitting there like, oh, my God. That is a true fucking story. (laughs) Now, we ended up, believe it or not, we ended up making it to Shano and back the, the entire way. But... It, it was just one of those crazy things. Like I said, I have like 27, 28 of those stories, but that was one of the best. I love all you guys, and I thank all of you for who came out tonight and listened to our stories. Thank you very much. Thanks, Marty. Our next storyteller is a very funny guy. Uh, I always love when he tells stories, and you will too. So please put your hands together for Brad Freihofer. Um, one more time, too. Thanks, Adam, for setting this up and doing this. I think that deserves a round of applause. I laugh a little bit because this always feels like my, my second family in many ways. So uh, I, always, I always love telling and hearing stories tonight. So, um, All right, so my story. Um, in, in the fall of 2010, I'm about a year and a half into my first professional career, uh, and I decide it's, it's a good time to take my first vacation. I hadn't really, didn't really understand what the concept of vacation was. Um, I do a lot of community organizing and activism, and so uh, we stay quite busy. Um, but I thought, all right, this is what people do, so let's, let's go on a vacation. Uh, and I had a friend of mine who was living out in uh, Colorado in Denver, uh, or in Colorado Springs. And so um, I was in Colorado, uh, I decided to make the trek out. So we grabbed a rent-a-car, and I got all my belongings together, and I was like, all right, this is exciting. We've got, we've got my mix, i got my CDs ready to go, and uh, I'm ready to head out. I, I, I had my, uh, at that time, I bought like my first sophisticated cell phone, because uh, I had like a job, and this was uh, a, a good way to do, but it, it wasn't that savvy, um, so I don't know if I know if I could get on the internet uh, with it, but it was still an upgrade from what I had. So I'm getting in the car. And I make the, the trek out there, and I arrive in the very late evening. I left Ames, Iowa, um, and, and headed out. And I got there uh, probably around midnight or so. Uh, and I pull in. It's late. I'm tired. I sat in the car all day. Um, my friend welcomes me, and, and we have a, uh, just a nice catch-up and chat. We're sitting uh, in her apartment. She tells me that... Uh, when I wake up tomorrow morning, what I'm going to see when I open the windows is the beauty of Pikes Peak uh, right, out, right out the window. And I'm so excited because this is the first time I've been back to the Rockies since I was a little kid. Uh, and I'm really, really, really excited. So we catch up. We spend about two hours talking and, and catching up. It's about 2 a.m. now. And uh, I decide to go to bed. Uh, she goes to bed. And at about 5 in the morning, maybe 5.30, I think, when I looked at my phone, uh, I'm in dead sleep at this point. I'm assuming I'm going to sleep in. But I, I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you feel something cr- 
you know, crawling on you when you're sleeping. Yeah, I've seen some of you give me that, like, mm-hmm, that makes me all uncomfortable. I had that feeling. So I, I, I kind of wake up suddenly, and I feel something on my face kind of moving. So I, I wake up, and I'm like, I'm trying to realize my brain's catching up. And so I, I, I flick whatever's on my face away, and I see something fly. And hit the ground or hit on my sleeping bag and so I'm like I'm like you know I just woke up so I'm a little disoriented uh, and I'm looking around like okay what was that my friend's sleeping in the next room it is quiet I, I know the, the it's still dark outside and I, I'm looking around like what is going on and I look at my sleeping bag and I realize um, uh oh um, there are these little things about not, not, too, not too big, maybe a centimeter, uh, that are crawling all over my, my sleeping bag. I'm on the floor. Yeah, I had that response too. Um, I was a little uh, uneasy about it. And so I look around and I have no idea what these things are. Like, no idea. And I start to panic a little bit. And so I'm like getting up, I'm walking around, and I see them, and there's a lot of them. And so I don't know what to do. And I am like struggling to figure out what do I do next. I'm in another state. This is like my first vacation. Tough way to start out. Don't know what, I honestly don't know what to do next. And so I sit and for the next hour, I'm trying to figure out what to do. I'm like, do I, like, what's the, what, what, is there a number to call? Like, I don't know how to figure out what's going on. And so I, I'm up and I'm seeing them still crawl around. And so I'm like, well, what, what should I do? I should definitely grab one and put one in a zip bag. It's like Ziploc bag. So I'm, I'm sitting on the ground and I'm, I'm hurting these things into the bag. So I got a bunch in the bag now. And I'm like, all right, I got some in the bag. And my first thought was, I don't know if I can stay here. And so my, my friend hears some commotion in the next room, which is me hurting these things into the bag. And so she gets up and... We have a brief conversation, and I say, you know, I think I got to go, and, and we're talking it out about what is going on, because it looks like there might be a slight infestation problem. And sure enough, there is, and it's going up the heater core of all of the apartments. And um, I say, well, I don't, I, I don't feel very comfortable, and I, I think I'm, you know, I, I think I got to go. And so... I leave and I get into my car and I'm still at this point of I don't know what to do. And I'm not sure if I was bit, like I have no idea by these things. So I start to panic a little bit and I'm like, all right, first thing, I have no choice. I think I even called my parents and was like, I had these things calling me, I don't know what to do. What to do? My, my, I think my parents were like, well, I mean, I guess you could go to the hospital. You're probably fine. Like, I think you're overreacting a little bit. And I'm like, I'm not overreacting. I woke up at 5.30. I don't know what's going on. And my mom's like, all right, take a deep breath. This is going to be fine. She's like, go to the hospital. It'll calm you down a little bit. You'll be fine. So I drive myself to the Colorado Springs Hospital uh, and go into the ER. And... I walk in and I walk up to the station and, and she's like, what, do you, what, what can we help you with? And I'm like, I unravel the bag and I'm like, I don't know what these are. Woke up with mommy this morning. She's like, okay, clearly you're a little amped. All right, um, have a seat. We'll get to you in a minute. So I'm sitting panicking. The doctor pulls me back. Uh, he wheels up the chair and I'm like, D- don't know. And he's like, huh. Pulls him up. He looks up and he's like, he's like, yeah, I think you got bed bugs. And I was like, now again, here, let me take a quick pause and say this. 
bed bugs are not the end of the world. They're not. They're a, definitely a nuisance. They're something we wish we could get, sometimes get rid of, but they're not the end of the world. I did not know this. I had not ever seen bed bugs before. I didn't know anything about bed bugs. I had no education about bed bugs. I had a lot of myths built up in my head about bed bugs. None of those myths went away after the doctor said that. And he didn't educate me necessarily. All that he said, he's like, just put your clothes into the dryer, heat up the dryer for two hours, and you're going to be fine. I didn't hear any of that. <laughs> what I heard is the entire vacation is shot. I have to see everything in Colorado in exactly two hours because I got to get on the road and I got to get home. So the docs look at me like, no, really, you're fine. Like, he's seeing, like everything of this like trip being shaken and he's like no you're gonna be you're fine just just you know again go heat up your clothes you'll be fine you can you go to walmart pick up a few things and and uh you'll be fine i didn't hear that so what happened is after i left the er i get in i'm in my rent-a-car um I'm like, I, this is it. Like, how am I going to see everything in two hours? So I'm like, time to go to the top of Pikes Peak. So I'm like, I'm like in my car. I'm like, I'm going to see everything I needed to see because I got a few hours, and this is what I'm going to do. Again, panicking a, a little illogically about about these bed bugs. By the way, I still have them in the plastic bag in the passenger seat. <laughs> it's like they're coming along with the for the adventure. Um, so I go all the way up to Pikes Peak. Um, which, by the way, when you have a heart condition, really bad idea to go that far in elevation really quickly. I learned that because I started to get dizzy as we started to get up into the higher elevations, and I couldn't get up all the way. So I had to turn around, and I'm like, all right, well, I kind of saw some stuff, I guess. What else do I want to do? Um, and I'm like, well, I got to do something else. So I'm like, this car. I'm like, maybe the car also has them in here. And I'm like starting to panic because I was in the car. I brought the bag that was in the apartment into the car. Maybe the cars now also has, you know, bed bugs in a lot of different locations. So I go to the rent-a-car. And at this point, my, I'm keeping my parents posted. And my mom's like, you are really going too far with this. Like, this is not that big of a deal. And, and I'm like, I've got to go to, I'm, I'm here at the Enterprise. I got I to gotta turn this in. So I go into the Enterprise store and there is a college student who's working the front desk. Um, he looks, I would kind of describe him a little bit like a, a California surfer dude. He's sitting back there, very chill, very relaxed. And I come in, I'm a little amped. So I come in and I'm like, hey, hey, um, I got to get a new car. And he's like, all right, cool. Um, we got some in the lot. Yeah, no problem. Uh, any reason? And I'm like, that one has bed bugs. And he's like, what? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I think it has bed bugs. I don't, I don't know. And he's like, what do I do? And I'm like, dude, not my problem. I have no idea. Good luck. And, and he's like, all right. And he just signs one out and signs me in the next. So now, feeling a little more comfortable. Got a new car, right? So now I'm like, well, I got all my clothes. What am I going to do? And again, because I'm freaking out, definitely illogically, I decided to toss all the clothes. All gone. I have nothing. Now I'm in Colorado. I'm two states away from home. I have no clothes. I'm in a rent-a-car, which is fine. I got no place to stay yet. And I'm still trying to have a conversation with my friend about like this whole experience. So um, I end up going to Walmart, and I'm like, I don't have very much money on me at this point. So I'm like, what is the cheapest what can I get? And so I went in and grabbed what I could get, and it was a nice gray sweatsuit. I, th I thought it looked, frankly, pretty fashionable. And so, and again, it's, in, it's a little bit in the fall, so this is a, it's a little cool. 
Um, and so I get out and I'm sitting and I'm like, well, I know I got to figure out something to do. Like, where am I going to stay? And so I was able to locate a place to stay, um, but I didn't have a lot of money for that. So uh, I was trying to figure out, well, how am I going to solve that problem? And so I eventually do find a place to stay if that's pretty cheap uh, in a hotel. And I'm like, well, I'm going to have to stay here the night because this is already late in the day. And it was in this moment where I was, I sat, I was sitting in the hotel and I'm sitting without my friend and I'm sitting there in a moment suddenly starting to realize that I have just so badly overreacted. I went from zero to here goes nothing to everything in 10 seconds without really thinking and because I was scared, nervous, and really uneducated about, you know, bed bugs. So... Um, I end up going and, and calming down and being like, this is all going to be fine. And so uh, my friend and I, we end up getting back together. We go, we go have dinner, and the rest of the trip is just fine. But in that day, it seemed like a nightmare. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brad. Yeah, the rest of the trip was fine, but I'm sure... How many times did you wake up in the middle of the night just being like, oh, my gosh? Yeah, yeah. Man, that's gross. Bed bugs. I mean, it's gross, but it, it for sure did not warrant uh, <laughs> that. Um, our next storyteller uh, is a really cool guy, and uh, you should definitely pay attention because he's full of wisdom, so please put your hands together for Tom Schmidt. Um, so bed bugs kind of creep me out too. But I was noticing that while the story was going on, an awful lot of people in this group here were going like this, <laughs> including me. <laughs> so I have a couple uh, 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 stories, uh, short and one a little bit longer. Um, the one is, uh, you know, the uh, what the heck or what the hell. Um, I asked my wife to marry me. That was one. <laughs> and uh, we were, uh, we had never, my wife and I, we've been together now uh, married for 48 years. Um, the, when, uh, 25 good ones, no. <laughs> When we, when we first uh, got together, um, we, we never had a date. We were always, uh, you know, with a group of people. We'd go out and do things with each other. We'd stumble on each other someplace or another. And uh, one night we were walking home from some get-together, and I walked over to somebody's garden. I pulled a flower out, and I handed it to her, and I said, uh, what do you think? Do you think we should get married? And she said, yeah. So that took care of it. <laughs> the, uh, the other one is, uh, when I was a teenager, uh, in the Kettle Moraine, there's a lake called Mothy Lake. And I was there with a friend, um, and he said, well, let's swim across the lake. And um, so I said, sure. And uh, when I was about three quarters across the lake, I had nothing left, nothing. And I said to uh, Chuck, I said, that's it. I, I can't go any further. And so I let my 
feet drop, expecting just to go under. And I landed, I, I, there was a rock, and I was standing on a rock, you know, and I was like here. And I took my foot and I'd go like this, and there were no more rocks all the way around. <laughs> well, anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting, and a lot of other things in my life have happened in a very similar fashion to that. I feel I'm a pretty lucky person. So, my son is a big paddler, a very good paddler, a whitewater paddler. Um, he uh, had a paddle shop in Missoula, Montana. Um, he taught, uh, you know, rolling. Uh, he, could, he can roll canoes. Uh, anyway, he's really good on whitewater. And I'm really good, I'm a very good paddler. And I've been paddling for a lot, a lot of years, but no whitewater. And so he invited me out to do a trip on some very, very serious whitewater out in uh, Idaho. And it was a uh, hundred miles worth of river, uh, the middle fork of the salmon. So when I took the train out there and uh, uh, Ben decided that because he knew I had never been on whitewater, he decided that uh, it would be a good idea if we tested me first. There were gonna be a variety of rafts on the, on the trip, but he and I were scheduled to take a canoe. And uh, so he took me out onto one of the rivers, a whitewater river, and uh, we paddled down through a, a series of rapids, and I did okay because uh, he said if I would have grabbed the gunnels, uh, the trip was off, but I didn't grab the gunnels. So then he said, well, okay, now we should go through the rapids without the canoe. And the idea was, well, if I ever got flipped out of the canoe on our trip, I had to know how to handle myself in the water. Um, and to be quite honest, ever since that rock situation, uh, water to me and swimming has only been staying alive in the water. There is no pleasure in it whatsoever, none. So he puts me in the, says, go down on your back, feet forward. And the, I, the idea of this is that you can see what's coming because your head's up and your feet are out in front of you instead of your skull out in front of you. So you can push off rocks with your feet. So we did that. But I, what I had never experienced before is when you're in rapids, you know that water is... It's always going downhill, obviously, but it, it swirls. It, it, it's coming at you. And so it's coming right up my nose, right in my mouth. And I'm, it doesn't feel good. I didn't enjoy it at all. And then he said, well, we better do that again, Dad. So we did it again. And I had the same thing happen up my nose, you know, in my lungs. So anyway, we go back to his apartment. And... He, at this time, Ben is, you know, basically he's a college, he's out of college now, but he's basically a college student living in a hovel. And uh, it is one of those kind of places where you, the shower stall, when you stand on it, if you stand in the wrong place, you have the distinct feeling you're going to go right through the floor. So I'm on the couch, and I can feel this water in me yet. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I don't want to die. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't want my son to think he killed his dad. 
And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, all night long, this stuff is rolling and rolling and rolling in my head. Four o'clock in the morning, it's time to, for us to get up and travel to where we have to go to meet up with these people with their rafts. And he said, oh, you're up, Dad. And I said, uh, Ben, I can't do it. I said, I, I, I can't do it. I don't want to die. I don't want you to think that you killed me. <laughs> and I don't want, you can't be on your conscience. Now, you know, Ben is, you know, you know, he's taller than I am, and he's, he's a powerful kid. He puts his hand on my shoulder, and he looks me in the face, and he says, Dad, you can do it. So anyway, I did it. <laughs> the first day on the, first of all, all the people on the trip were really nice. I was the old man on the trip, which meant that a couple, there are a couple women on the trip. I got my espresso coffees every morning. I got jerky from various parties. Nobody else got any. One of the guys on the trip, I complained to Ben. I said, what, what, you know, he bought Budweiser for this trip. I said, what the hell kind of crap did you buy? Why didn't you buy something good? But one of the other guys heard me, and he had good beer. <laughs> Every single night, I had a good can of beer sitting in front of me. By the way, a 100-mile trip, about seven days, and there were eight of us, and there were 24 cases of beer. And that's not the only trip I've been on with my son and a group of people. And 24 cases of beer seems to be the magic number for whatever trip you're on. So the first day in the water, uh, in the canoe, I don't remember anything. I don't remember anything at all. There were sights on the way. We went through the biggest rapids of the trip. I don't remember a single thing. I don't remember about putting my paddle in the water. I don't remember, well, we didn't tip over. That I do remember. And then as the trip went on, I got a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more comfortable. Um, I managed to tip Ben over, or me over, five times on the trip, swam, and it, everything worked out fine. It was a great, great trip. But it was one of those, you know, what the hell am I doing kinds of trips. I had a really nice time. Thank you. Hey, Tom. I want to tell you about another uh, dangerous time in Tom's life. Uh, Tom is actually one of the storytellers who's featured on the, uh, the Best of CD that we have. And uh, on that CD, he tells a story about uh, his wife and uh, his wife making him dinner early on in their marriage. And probably, I would imagine, one of the most dangerous situations Tom has ever been in. His wife puts, <laughs> his wife puts the meal down uh, in front of him. And she might have over overcooked it a little bit. And Tom went, I'm not eating this shit. <laughs> So, good times. <laughs> uh, our next storyteller, uh, you should really strap in for this, because uh, he is, like, full of energy. I've, I've never met a guy more full of energy. And uh, you can catch him regularly at the comedy club on State, and his name is Frandu, so please clap for Frandu. <laughs> Thank you. Ah. 
clap for Frandu and and I haven't even done anything yet. Hey, I like this. I like this. <laughs> I think I went for broke the moment my father went into my mother and ejaculated inside. like me <laughs> am I going to get up in the morning and look at the pimple no freaking way no way alright technical difficulties how loud can I be farther away Because I get excited. And then you'll hear an echo, and then you'll hear the microphone. Maybe I just talk like this. Holy freaking frack. Oh, man. Well, you know what? When my house got sold, I was like the big man. You know, I, I can hold it in for as long as it takes. And my house got sold. And I said, okay, we signed the papers. And I went down and I got into my car and I pulled out. And just as I'm going out of the parking lot, making a ride on Whitney Way, I stopped and could not move. I just held down to the steering wheel. And I wept and wept. <laughs> but I had a doctor's appointment. So I made the right and I got to the light and made the left. And two blocks later, I pulled into the parking lot of the clinic. And I went to the receptionist. And she said, can I help you? And I said, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to, and I wept. <laughs> and she goes, wow, wow. <laughs> she did not know what to do. <laughs> and she's going, oh, are you all right? I'm just crying. <laughs> I'm just freaking crying. It's okay. It's okay. You have no idea whatever happens in your life. It's like you can plan it to the T and you get up the next morning and damn it, you have to poop for too long. <laughs> There's no toilet paper now. And the adventure takes you 15 minutes to solve. And now you miss the bus and the whole scene is ruined and like ah, ah. 
So do you look at the pimple? Holy freaking frack, the whole freaking clinic is up in arms. Like, oh, what's the matter with the guy? Oh, he's crying. Oh, no, what to do? What do we do? What do we do? There's five people running around coming out. It's like, what can we do? It's like, I'm just crying. It's okay. Sometimes timing has a lot to do with that, you know, because they had operated me and my wife took the kids to California and came back a week later and said, you got divorce papers now and kicked me out of the house. And then I was sorted that day, see? And I just like, let it out. <laughs> but that was okay. Got an apartment, it's all right. You know, you cry, it's great. And then I got the news that I had lost my job. <laughs> I said, oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So you get up in the mornings and you look up at the ceiling and you go, whoa, same ceiling. Wow, the same walls. There's the mirror. Here I am. I'm not going to look at the pimple. Because what does that matter? Who cares? Just give me some connection. And boy, I found it. And I went to the local bar. And the man is looking up at his TV. And he goes, hey, how you doing? And I, I, I told him, do you really want to know? And he goes, yeah. And I spilled it out. And he's like, whoa, man, you need a drink. And two hours later, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this is really awesome. So I told him that I really loved having been there, that it was so freaking great that they got me all fucked up. That it was just great to see the smiles and people giving me hugs and trying to get me drunk. And that I wanted to thank them for that, and I did not know how, but I told them that the comedy club had an open mic on Wednesday nights, they should come out, and I will publicly say, thank you, thank you, and get off the mic, because go for broke, you know what I mean? So I went, and I did it, and none of them were there. But you don't look at the pimple, you go and you say to yourself, oh, fuck, now what do I do? <laughs> and you say the first thing that comes to your mind. The one thing I remember about my father was that he beat the shit out of me. And people lost it. They thought that was hilarious. They're cracking up about this. <laughs> can't look at the pimple. I'll be dead. I will be dead. Get up in the mornings and look at the miracle we are. No matter what, that alone is beautiful. We live the miracle and we don't see it. We're so we jumped off the abyss and we're falling 
and I don't see a bottom. But if I kill you in the fall, I get to live longer. <laughs> Holy freaking frack. And it's all up to us. Holy freaking frack. So I went for broke and I'm doing a show at the Bartel Theater on May 11th, 12th, and 13th. It's called Frandutopias Frandu Atra. Can't see it. It's 15 bucks. But if you have no money, freaking frack. Look, come, look me up on Facebook and I give you a goddamn comp ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Let the moment vibrate with your heart and go on. It doesn't matter. We are alive. Love your moment. Thank you very much. My name is Frandu. Thank you, Frandu. So I'm never quite sure what Frandu's talking about. No, but hear me out. But hear me out. I think he might be the most passionate storyteller I've ever seen. I mean, he, the passion that Frandu has comes out every time he tells a story. Our next storyteller is Nicholas Napoli, so please clap for Nicholas Napoli. I... No, that's all right. It's Napoli, but that's okay. Everybody messes that up. I, uh, here goes nothing. This is, I found out about this last night, so this moment right here is like kind of a here goes nothing. Uh, the past couple years of my life has pretty much been every week. Here goes nothing. Uh, I ended up uh, in Washington State for a long time, land of legal marijuana. Thank goodness I'm not a criminal. But uh, uh, I opened up an art gallery and makerspace. And so kind of being here tonight and seeing the community come out and support, you know, local arts, that's pretty, pretty awesome. But I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I'll tell a story. Which story do I tell? And, and I figured, well, let me start with the mystical one, where uh, <coughs> I, uh, you know, uh, we, were, we were planning this huge event uh, at this space, and it was uh, a celebration of the dead. It was, uh, there was this ancient 10-year-old little girl that planted a seed on my forehead, and whew, that, that got a little bit crazy. I turned into a snake. I took LSD. It was fucking awesome. But I don't want to tell that story. That's a whole different story, man. Um, so I'll spare the LSD stories. And, uh, but, uh, but, but over there in Washington State, I was not on the evergreen side of the state where it's all rainforest and pretty beautiful fairies. I was on, on the brown side of the evergreen state and the east side where the government chose to process the uranium for the nuclear bombs. And so the Hanford site is near where I was living. It's the largest environmental cleanup in the world, at least until the tar sands have to be cleaned up. And uh, so we're in this desert. It's a sage steppe. It's got this rugged beauty to it, you know, uh, uh, beautiful juniper trees, some of the best sunsets in the world. If you ever get a chance to go out there, it's, it's, it's worth stopping by. And, uh, you know, they grow agriculture, and they make bombs. Uh, so uh, we start up this artist space in this conservative little military town that has, unlike, I mean, I'm just walking down Willie Street. I just got to Madison a few days ago, and, and 
over the course of like five blocks on Willie Street, you basically have more arts and culture than the entire 250,000 people town of the Tri-Cities. And that's what it, they call it, the Tri-Cities. And uh, it's been lovingly nicknamed the Dry Shitties because it's, <laughs> yes indeed, a, a desert that in the summertime gets up to about 115 degrees on certain occasions and has like Mad Max level dust storms. It's, uh, it's a pretty intense place. Uh, but so here we are, this, this little liberal bastion supporting LGBTQ and artists, and, and, and I'm trying to prepare, you know, uh, a way to be able to, you know, afford to survive in this town. And how do you do that? Well, you fucking party. Uh, so that's what we planned to do. We went and talked to the local pot shop, and they gave us a shit ton of money, and I thought, well, well I guess we had to stand up and do something, because, you know, here goes nothing. So four months' worth of planning... And, and during this time, you know, I don't know if anybody is familiar with working with artists, but uh, it's kind of like, it's like hurting cats. Uh, you know, here, kitty, kitty, and, uh, uh, you know, you can't just, unlike some people believe, you can't just grab the pussy. You just can't grab the pussy cats, you know? They don't like that. They don't like that. So, uh, so here we are, just this drug-fueled, you know, we get care packages dropped off from Green to Go every week, and, uh, and lots of alcohol flowing through there. Shh, don't tell anybody. We'll lose our nonprofit status. But uh, uh, <clears throat> we're preparing for this Halloween event, and it's uh, a Day of the Dead-themed art show. We have got five different bands, two DJs. We've built, it's a maker space too, and so there's a bunch of tech guys and contractors and autistic electronic gurus. And the, uh, so we built this 50 foot by 50 foot haunted house, gave it a story with an HP Lovecraft theme and had this beautiful pixie and playing the organ. And wow, that was, that was a hell of a night. But uh, so here we are in just about to get started up and in the desert and they're forecasting rain motherfucker <laughs> so uh we had to set up for about three days and so during this time i was you know uh kind of losing my mind a lot and uh getting burnt out and so i went back and i found something in my collection that was like this old piece of jewelry and so ages and ages and ages ago i i, I worked at the pennsylvania renaissance fair and there was this woman. I had befriended uh, a, a woman named Annie, who was an artist that did beadwork and jewelry. And uh, her, her husband, the glassblower, who he was, he fit the part. He had a beard down to his waist and smoked lots of pot. And uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful time, though. And, and I was up there, and uh, she had taken the time to make this piece of jewelry for me, which was no small feat, because... At that time, she was suffering from multiple sclerosis, and so she's long since passed away, but here's this gift she gave a young boy uh, out of love, and, uh, uh, and I just kind of carried that little gift. It was a little leather pouch with a green malachite stone uh, with beadwork done, and I carried that with me for years and years, and probably a decade later, went to Yellowstone Park, found a little rock. I know you're not supposed to take the rocks from the national parks, but fuck you, I did it anyway. <laughs> and uh, I put that in the pouch, and so I had this with me, and I was like, all right, come on. Let's, let's go ahead and just not rain, just for one night. We just spent $7,000 in four months of my life to make this a reality. Do not ruin it. And, and it worked. This, the, this night went off without a hitch. 
right up until the next day when the rains and wind came and the dust storm and uh, destroyed the entire haunted house. So we had to cancel it completely. And, and the wind actually, I, I get a call in the morning. Somebody said, Nick, one of your pop-up tents, we had these, you know, these 10 by 10 pop-up tents, blown about 150 feet across the way into the parking lot on top of a car but didn't touch the car. Just wanted to destroy the haunted house. Just, just the haunted house. And so here we have this situation of, oh, thank goodness, one wonderful night that went off without a hitch because we took a chance and gathered a bunch of artists together to do amazing things. And, and I really do believe that when you gather artists together, amazing things do happen every single time. Uh, but what's, what's the inspirational part of this story? I don't know. I, I guess that... Afterwards, I decided to just say, fuck it, I'm buying a plane ticket to Italy for two and a half months, and I had exactly $80 to my name when I got to Milan and had no idea how I was going to survive. And, uh, you know, ended up, turns out that I'm going to be the winter caretaker at a property that's uh, embedded into the cliffside of the Adriatic Sea. And so for three months, I get to go and make art and write. And so if you have a chance... Say, here goes nothing, and take it. Thanks, Nick. Uh, every now, you know, you know how every now and then you meet somebody who um, is like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Smart, but like, uh, but like in a uh, practical way. Uh, our next storyteller is that for me. Very often, I uh, people sign up with names that I can't pronounce, and uh, our next storyteller had the foresight to write phonetically uh, after his name. And so, uh, judges, if you just want to write phonetically, it, his name is two of my favorite things. So, give it up for Soup Rub. Thank you. Hi everyone, uh, this is like my first time to this particular place and this kind of an event and thank you Nancy for that, for inviting us. We are part of a meetup and probably 30% of the audience right now. And uh, uh, I was not sure whether I was going to tell a story or not, but the second speaker, Maria, I think, uh, her story kind of inspired me to tell this story. Uh, a true story and it has basically two parts in it, kind of like two stories uh, about it and uh, I will try to join the two in a way. So the story begins when I was probably in, I don't know, sixth grade or seventh grade and uh, I was a huge fan of uh, basically everything that was American. Uh, be it American sitcoms, be it American actors, films, and big part of that was Reader's Digest. Is anybody who is like the Reader's Digest? So uh, my, I asked my parents to, you know, get me Reader's Digest magazine because I like it and I would like to read it. I, I read it in my school library. So I used to get this once a month Reader's Digest uh, copy. And uh, in one of those, I think in the sixth grade, I was going through the pages, and they used to have this featured story every now and then that would be on the very second or third page, like the one highlighted that stood out from the rest of the stories. The story was about uh, a middle-aged American woman who 
was uh, basically going through some major crisis in her life, uh, like divorced, uh, kids would verbally abuse her, and uh, nothing would go right for her. The job was pretty shitty. Uh, basically, she would come home every day and just cry. Uh, the story kind of went on and talked about how nothing in life was working out for her. And then one fine day, one of her only remaining friends basically said, why don't you try bungee jumping? Uh, it's a new thing. It's, everybody's doing it. Just let's just do it. <laughs> and she was like, how is going to solve all my problems? And you're like, well, nothing else is. So maybe, you know, <laughs> yeah, just go for this. Uh, so she went ahead and she, like, you know, She's on this huge cliff, I guess. I've never tried bungee jumping, so I don't know how it looks like. But yeah, it's probably on this huge cliff with the ropes tied around her waist, and uh, she's like standing right edge of the, you know, the edge of the whole thing. And then somebody says, "Okay, now you can jump." And then she just thinks nothing at that point of time, and she jumped. Now, while she's jumping, and this is part of her story when she's telling the story in the, you know, magazine that while she was jumping, everything that was not working out for her, kind of all came to her mind right at that moment. So she's falling, going down, and tears are kind of going up, you know, like she's crying, and the tears are going up, around her, up, her cheek. And uh, basically, she's, talk, she's thinking about her husband and how it was really the husband that was shitty, not the marriage. And then about her kids and how that, you know, maybe she did make some mistakes while, you know, raising them, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And then... By the time she reaches the ground and then, you know, there's one more pull and something like that. And every time there was a pull, something would just come up in her heart and then she would think about it and she would start crying. And then basically when the whole thing was over and when they, you know, untangled her from the rope or whatever, and then she felt like a brand new person at that moment of time as, as if something just got out of, you know, her chest and she was feeling normal again. That's the first part of the story. Anyways, cut to from my sixth grade to when I was 21 years old, and uh, uh, just as a matter of fact, I happened to be in the United States uh, doing my master's. Uh, at that moment of time, uh, what happened was I had just come to this country. I had no idea how to get things done. Uh, my education was pretty expensive. I knew that it's going to be expensive for the next two years of doing my master's from Illinois Tech in Chicago. Uh, and Chicago is a pretty expensive city. So I was trying to, you know, kind of, my whole routine used to be like, I used to get up at four in the morning, go to, you know, try to study, go for a class, and then come back home, and then go for a, to work in a job in a subway. Basically, it would start at six in the evening to six in the morning, something like that. And so it was basically job, uh, two hours of sleep, studying papers and then job again. Pretty much this is what it's going to, it was looking like. And it used to be pretty shitty back then because you would see working in a subway that on Friday nights people would come out and buy something and they're going to a party or something, you know? And you'd be like, oh shit, this is my age to party right now. Why are these people partying? They're like 55, you know? <laughs> What's wrong with them? <laughs> or, you know, at that point of time, I used to think like that. And Subway happened to be next to a strip club. So a lot of strippers would come in the night. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of a strip show, but it's not. You know, because uh, first of all, I'm not getting to see anything. You know, they're getting sandwiches and everything. Anyway, so my life was pretty shitty at that point of time. But I was trying to make it through. And then uh, I think my, my starting of my second semester, I meet this girl. Uh, in one of the class, uh, and I did not feel attracted to her at all. It was like, it was basically uh, like, oh, she's a really nice person to talk to. And then, you know, a couple of months down the line, 
we just happened to be roommates because I mean, you, he was looking for a place, I was looking for a place, we happened to be roommates. And she was actually dating at some at somebody at that point of time, and they were like in a five-year-long relationship and everything. And he used to be, I think, in Virginia, and she used to be in Chicago. Blah blah. blah. Uh, I still remember it was the homecoming night uh, in, in my university, and uh, everybody was dancing, and I was dancing, and she was dancing with her, and we happened to kiss, and we happened to make out, you know, in in that moment. And right about that time, <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> so. Right about that moment, I think a switch turned on inside me. I know, like that, that symbolic switch, and I started to see her in a very different light. You know, I was like, "Oh, she's attractive. Oh, she's good." You know, whatever. And but I felt really, really guilty because I knew the guy. I mean, she had he had withered a couple of times, so I felt really guilty. And then she, and then we went back home, and she was like, "Oh shit, what have I done?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, oh shit, what have you done?" You know, something. Because <laughs> I mean, I was already feeling guilty. I don't want to tell myself, "Oh, what have you done?" You know. So at that point of time. Uh, and she had a huge long talk with her boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. They did resolve things out and pretty much it was like, okay, so this is what it is. That's it. I mean, this not going any forward. Well, what do you know? After a couple of months, she broke up with her boyfriend and then I'm like, okay, this is my way. You know, this is my way. This is, it's supposed to happen. It's now happening this way. And uh, we basically started going out. We, I was uh, at some point from madly in love with her. And since we're basically living together, so there was nothing like to move in, because we already moved in from the very start. And then uh, I could see all that while, that even though she was, you know, she, was, she said she was in love with me, I know she was in love with me, and I was in love with her and everything. But I could see at some time, like once a month or something, she would be sitting in a corner, basically thinking about that other person, or maybe a little crying about it, I don't know, something like that. And I, 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 I and this one person, because of whom, if something goes wrong, would feel terribly guilty all the fucking time. So this happened and started happening more often and often, and eventually she told me, which I would like to believe, she said, I'm in love with two people at the same time. And uh, I was like, okay. And initially I was like, okay, then well, you go ahead with him, I guess, because, you know, whatever. And then I was like, no, maybe I also want her. And then eventually, she had to move to a different Virginia. She had to move to Virginia for her job or something, and this was the time when the recession had hit, like the US 2010, it was pretty much, there were no jobs, and she was really lucky to get a job at that point of time, and I was pretty unlucky to not get one. And uh, she moved there, and we, were st and we were still going out at that point of time. And, uh, I, and then one fine day, I, you know, I, I said, okay, I want to meet you because of something, you know, some occasion. And she said, okay. And I, I went to Virginia to meet her. We had a great time. We had like great two days. And it was almost like from a movie scene or something. When I was trying, to, when I was going away, like when I was at the airport, she told me, this is it. This is the last bit of it, of between us, because I want to go back to the other guy. And that was my birthday that particular day was my birthday. And uh, I was pretty much like dumbstruck, numb. I had no idea what's, what's after this. So I took my flight, came back to, uh, and by the time I actually had got a job and it was in Madison. So I was taking my flight back to Madison and I was like, and I was pretty much in a numb state for the next one week or so. I had no idea what's going on. I remember I used to listen to this song by uh, Snow Patrol Chasing Cars, you know, all the fucking time, like, like on loop. <laughs> Right? 
And, and, I was, and I used to think, you know, maybe this song is so good, or maybe this is the first song I played after this happened, that I'm just playing it all this while. So basically, for, and, and then I got over, I sort of, I thought I got over in the next one month or something of, of the whole thing. But every time I would go out and start dating another person, mentally, I would still compare. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that's what happened to me too. Yeah. So uh, mentally, I would still compare any new beginning with that level of relationship. That, oh, this is not matching up to it, so it's not good. So nothing was going right for me from my, from my relationship standpoint. Um, and then basically the next two years, I, I dated quite a bit, but I, nothing like really stood out or anything. And every time this thing, this thing used to happen to me, and you know there, there were so many drunk calls that I made to her and everything, and it's like, you know, and, and then she, yeah, I know, yeah, it's pretty terrible. And then she would tell, she would eventually, like, you know, once in three or four months, call me and say, I hope you're doing good or whatever. And for some shitty reason, for, and I really hate her for that, that she would say, I'm still in love with you, but I love the other guy more. It's, it was kind of extremely terrible. And at that point of time, I was like, oh, yes, I still have a window, you know? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm good to, I, I didn't realize that I was on the hook, but I was like, oh, maybe I have a window here. Until 2012, when somebody said, hey, do you want to go skydiving? This is where the second story, the first story kind of blends in. So I'm like, okay, let's do skydiving. So I went to Fort Atkinson where there's a pretty nice facility for skydiving. And I had no point, I had no idea at that point what I'm, what I'm trying to do and how it's going to be like. So I went and, and they just said, okay, sign this, sign this, sign the 100 pages, and then you get on the plane and you jump. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And I'm on this plane, 15,000 feet. And then it hit me what I'm, what I'm about to do. I'm about to jump from a plane, right? And, and then, um, and then I, I started thinking. And when you start thinking at that moment, you can't do it, right? And that, then at that moment of time, I don't know what happened, that sixth grade memory came to my head about that woman, that woman who tried to jump, who tried to do bungee jumping. I'm like, this is not bungee jumping, but it's pretty much the same thing, you know, like similar. And then I jumped from the plane. And at that moment of time, everything that I had felt for the last two years and before that when I was with her came to me in that 10 second free fall. And it was like tears going down, you know, and going up actually. And then, <laughs> and drying at the same time, I'm like, oh man, this is like, you know, something is happening to me. And by the time the parachute opened, it, was, it felt so liberating. It felt extremely, extremely liberating. And when, and when I finally, you know, hit the ground, I was a really, really happy person, and there was an epiphany. I mean, I'll, I'll get to that, what the epiphany was. And then I come out, I mean, I'm like, I'm driving my way, way back home, I'm feeling happy, I'm feeling so thrilled and everything. And then a couple of months later, she calls me again. And she's talking about her life. And I never asked what's going, I never, in the two years, never asked what's going on in her personal life, that if she's going out with that person or with somebody else, or whatever that is. And then she said the same shitty thing, you know? And I said, you know what, I really don't care. The one thing that I've learned out of my jump out of that plane is that the only way you can be truly happy if you have the will to be happy. And right now it's my will to be happy, so shut up. Thanks, Subrub. Please uh, be very welcoming and clap your hands for Wes.
just told me I got five minutes. It'll have to be even faster than that because I realize I have to pee. I didn't have to pee until I got like right there. So uh, I'm not going to look at y'all because if I do, I'm probably not going to tell my story well. Um, first thing you should know about me is I'm not a manly man. Okay, so close your eyes for one second. Think to yourselves about what a manly man is. Now open your eyes and realize that I'm not that dude. I just wanted to make it super clear <laughs> that I'm not the dude you think I am. Um, so this is years ago. I just gotten out of high school. My mom told me I had to do two things, get a job and go to college. I wasn't big on college, so I got a job first. A guy in our neighborhood that we live with um, was a big dude at UPS. Uh, he got me in the back door there and said, hey, start unloading trucks. So these big 18-wheelers would come in every day, and me, uh, my however old self that I got out of high school, I'm a scrawny kid, I wasn't a big kid, so I'm in the back of an 18-wheeler, and I'm throwing out all kinds of stuff, all the stuff that you guys get at your house every single day. I was the one dude <laughs> doing that, uh, and there were like 20 other guys that did the same job. But um, coming out of high school, uh, I wasn't a popular kid, I had a few friends, so going into this environment where everyone had become really, really close, uh, and these are manly men, these are dudes that, you know, throw 18-wheeler tires out of a, so at the bottom of an 18-wheeler, there's this compartment underneath of it that has a bunch more boxes, and a bunch more, like, rims, and TVs, and you name it, so these dudes were big guys, and they, they would do that, but I had to do this job for at least a month before I can get out of it, so I was scared to death doing this job and we had a lot of managers that would come in and out because we were sort of on the training route um, and there was this one guy that came in he was a new manager uh, and at this time it was probably like a year in so I'd become really really close friends we would work uh, with all the guys there we'd work from 4 a.m. To, to 8 a.m. so these are people that you end up seeing right after for me at least in high school uh, I was doing the whole first year of college thing uh, doing the party and going down to the beach I'm from Delaware so beaches are a big thing we'd spend all our time down at the beach and then I would come straight from the beach to work so these are the first people People that I would see normally on every day telling about the things that I did the night before. Uh, I was a preacher's kid, so everything that I was doing telling these guys, uh, I was this Christian kid, so I was doing stuff that I wasn't supposed to. Uh, so I was telling all these guys about my adventure, so we became really super close uh, because we were sharing so much stuff together. So fast forward, this guy comes in, we would haze everybody. Now mind you, I'm not a manly man, so I needed a lot of help. People would help me all the time. The one thing I could do, though, is make fun of people, because when I was a kid on my school bus, if you didn't have have lunch money, you would what we would say rank on each other. So you rank on somebody, and if you lose, you give that other person your lunch money. <laughs> so that's how I got my lunch money every day. And that's how I became friends with all these guys because I was the dude that had the best jokes. So I would make fun of people all the time. And I would make fun of this new guy because that's how we got people into the group. So mind you, so I only got a little bit of time, so I'm gonna fast forward. So working at UPS for a long while, your body starts to fall apart. I worked there for about five years. Up until this point, it was about a year and some change in, and already I was having some back pain because, again, I'm lifting all these super big things. I'm not a manly dude. I'm a small guy, and I need a lot of help. So my wife thought, at the, at the time she's my girlfriend, she thought, I'm going to help my boo. <laughs> Valentine's Day comes up and she says, you know what you need? You need a massage. <laughs> now there's something you should know about my wife and I. When we have disagreements, there's around two things. My wife is white. So these are the two things that I always say. I don't want to do that or black people don't do that. <laughs> That's it. 
Now, one of those arguments I'm going to lose. I don't want to do that because that's just my personal preference. And over time, she can nag on me. She's going to win. The black thing, she don't even touch that because she don't know nothing about how I grew up. And I will pull out my version of slave story anytime I need it. So, so yeah. So in this argument, for her to tell me I needed to get a uh, back massage, I'm like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Finally, I do do it. And it's Valentine's Day. She got this gift. It was super sweet. So um, trying to shorten the story here. So we end up at this building. It's dark. And I mean, the parking lot is dark. The foyer to the building is dark. Think of like Asian massage place in a seedy place. That's like kind of what this was. So I'm walking in and I'm like looking at her like, dude, you know I don't want to do this. I'm going to tell you until we get to the door how much I don't want to do this. And the only way that I even agreed to do it is if we were going to split our hour because she got me an hour. Why she got an hour, I have no idea. I don't want anybody touching me, first of all. And (laughs) I didn't even want to do it. I'm like not into it. So... The, the backstory there is that the guy that we had been hazing had disappeared from UPS. Nobody knew where he was. Nobody knew why he wasn't there. We don't know if he got fired. We don't know if he, got, if he quit. We don't know anything. All we know is this dude's not there. And mind you, like a week before that, we had been asking ourselves, like, you know, where'd this dude go? Turns out, as I'm walking up in the hallway and I turn the corner, now this guy's like Adam's size, okay? Like Adam's complete size. And I turned the corner and I said to myself, that shadowy figure looks familiar. <laughs> I get there and as I'm getting closer, I'm not a manly dude. I had to man up. So my walk, which was shallow at first, turned real big. You know, I was like, I'm like super fly. You know, I'm like, what's up, bro? How you doing, man? All right, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm here to get this little, this little back rub my, 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 my girl want me to get. And my voice is all, and I don't even know how to talk like that. I sound dumb. I sound dumb. I look dumb. And mind you, like this dude, in his head, he was not at UPS anymore. He was a massage therapist. And he had been working at UPS just for a few months until he finished his massage therapy like certification or whatever. So that's why he disappeared, because he got a job. He started doing his thing. So he goes, well, you go in this room, and then my wife, you go in that room. And I looked at him and was like, nah, dog. <laughs> nah. <laughs> my wife is going to like stay with me through this whole thing. In fact, she's going to hold my hand, because I think a part of my manhood is going to like fall through the floor. <laughs> And then he goes, okay, okay, it's cool, it's cool, you can sit over in the corner. He goes, well, how about you start by taking your shirt off? And I said, nah, dog, (laughs) I'm not going to take my shirt off, bro. So I'm sitting there, like, trying to kick it with this guy, like, trying to talk, like, catch up on old times. But to him, I was, like, taking him back to a time he wanted to forget. All he really wanted to be was a massage therapist. And I'm trying to, like, make light of this situation, which was a huge transition for him. So if I could leave y'all with anything, it's that you really don't know people's stories. You know, you, like, meet these people all the time. You make fun of people. You do all these things. And we, like, we say these things about each other. But, like, our stories can be going in, like, divergent ways. And we, instead of taking time to learn from one another, we, we usually, like, dismiss it and... And, and don't. So I had a chance to like connect with this guy about where his life was actually going instead of making fun of him, and I didn't do that. Um, but to hear you, go, I forget the name of the theme or whatever, but like that moment was that I had to get this massage and I didn't want to get it. And it ended up being some guy that was like three times my size that I work with at UPS. <laughs> All right, that is it for today's episode. I loved that story by Wes. 
Uh, I love what he said about how we don't know each other's stories. And um, it's so true. We don't know each other's stories. And what's so cool about Madison Story Slam is that we get to know each other's stories and be a part of those stories, even if it's just as a listener. Uh, I love what we do. I love this community. And thank you guys so much for contributing to the GoFundMe page. Uh, May 20th is our final Story Slam of the season. Our theme is Death, Sex, and Money. That's Saturday, May 20th at the Wilmar Center. We hope to see you there. As always, Ale Asylum will be sponsoring. And uh, we've got some big stuff planned for summer and for next season. We'll take June and July off with maybe a little special event in the summer. We, we're trying to work some stuff out. But then we're back in August. Uh, and uh, I've still got more po- podcasts to get done and get out. So look forward to those. And hey, we'll see you next time. <laughs>